Question. Who is Mr. Beast? Okay, well, this is a question Kayla. I had a while ago <laughs> that I don't know if we have I'm time being to serious. cover. <laughs> He's like you a can't. YouTuber who, okay, uh, I guess just is like very PewDiePie. rich. Okay, uh, and he's like a YouTuber who does like challenge videos where it's like I he get popular by being like I say this phrase like for 10 hours straight and like, yeah, but now his video he, they're more like I. I I brought a car and I met ten people. Keep their hands on it, and whoever left their hands yeah. on the longest gets like, he's like a, a million dollars. Like, he's like yeah. he's exploited that a bit. He's also like okay. we he, bought this house in the suburban area and we are selling it for one dollar for anyone who believes the sign can buy it or whatever. Yeah, and then he made like a ghost restaurant. That's what they call it, right? Yeah, a ghost, a ghost kitchen. kitchen. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a restaurant that you can only get through like DoorDash or like. Uh, whatever. Yeah, I yeah, want to say PayPal, Hub, but that's Uber not right. Eats, what yeah. is the word I'm thinking of? Grubhub. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that type of thing. Um, Postmates was what I was thinking. Postmates. And um, and then now he also has like chocolate bars where he did a uh, Willy Wonka thing with golden tickets where you can like be in a video or get a bunch of money. Um, yeah, he also famous. He also that's famous. the choice. It's one or the other. It's I know what like I'm that. choosing. Yeah. <laughs> it's stuff like that. No, it's like on the ticket. Yeah, he play. also famously made a squid game, like a full like real life squid game thing that people he murdered got, people. Got, got, yep. got very mad at. I mean, it was like we just played some games, and then people were like, "Look, look at how many views he got. More people watched this than watched Squid Game." That can't be true. That was a whole discourse. I mean, he truly, it was truly like, it got like 150 million views or something like that. It was crazy. Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name's Kyle, and actually, I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined by Andy Gerbuga. Emilio Diaz. And we have a guest, a returning guest, friend of the show, our former uh, co-host, best friend, Daniel Foster. Hello. I'm Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Welcome back. Thank Hi. You for Glad to be back. Yeah. I wanted to have you back for this one specifically because I'd been wanting to do... We're doing a little small Pal and Pressburger episode. Mm. And I've been wanting to do it for a while just because I got really into their movies like in the past couple of years. And I know you're a big fan of them. And also have a big... I don't. Maybe I'm pimping you into this without really telling you, but you have a big relationship to the music that they do... And I know that, like, Tales of Hoffman specifically, uh, uh, you have a I wouldn't say, famous letterbox review. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't say big. If it's famous, you didn't like it, though. But it's like, okay, yeah. oh I just want to get that on the record. You're you're hyping sure. up my letterbox review and you didn't even like it. But I wouldn't, I mean, I think you're overhyping it. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I, well, you're a musical guy. You come from I'm a, a musical I'm a classical family. music guy. Yeah. That's my main mode. Yeah. And then it just happened to coincide that, like, Red Shoes and Tales of Hoffman are sort of their biggest, like, as they were released, festival players. Um, Because I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit. But, like, Red Shoes uh, was at Venice um, in competition. And also, um, 
Tales of Hoffman was at Cannes and it won a Silver Bear for Best Musical at Berlin that year. Um, yeah, at the first Berlin, I think I saw. I right? think it is the first Berlin. Yeah, um, but before that, I think there's a couple of pieces of news we should talk yes, about before yes, we get into this. Yes, yes, there's some Cannes news. Stuff. So, Daniel, I'm sorry to deny you. Uh, it's fine. yourself. I'll comment as necessary. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Uh, so the first big piece of news I think is this news out of Cannes. That um that they're gonna have Top Gun Maverick there probably yeah that's one of their uh, big blockbuster premieres our uh we you know we have a particular affinity for the Cannes blockbusters uh this is a good fit for the tradition of that certainly it's got like a big movie star who will show up and do a red carpet in Cannes uh it's not really a prestige play at all um although th- that trailer is weirdly somber so i wonder i mean but that's gonna... just reboot trailer syndrome sure, sure, of sure, like sure. here's the somber cover of you know the angelus whatever right top the, gun theme and, right the, yeah the 80s top Andy, gun have you seen top gun i've never seen top gun no i'd say top gun is maybe a less fun movie than its reputation suggests sure yes yeah. it is pretty yeah. harrowing People, right, I mean, people are, like, love to talk about how homoerotic Top Gun is. That's a big sure. thing that I hear a lot. Um, it, Meg Ryan's in it, right, but she's not back for the she, sequel. No, right? she's the partner of Goose, who right. is not in the sequel. I won't spoil what happens to him in Top Gun 1. <laughs> I wonder what. But, in, uh, in a what dangerous job, like fighter piloting, I wonder what could have happened to him, yeah. Um... He but I mean, canceled. I don't think like Kelly McGillis is in the new one, is she? No, I don't think. I don't think so. I don't. Do they? There's recast? no women in the new one. <laughs> there, no, no Jennifer Connelly in. is in it as like a new what? character. I think that's crazy. I don't know. It's, but yeah, but but yeah, Top Gun on the beach. That's it's exciting. Happening. There's volleyball in the movie and in this new one. It seems from the trailer. So sure. you'll get um. I'm sure there'll right. be some on beach volleyball <laughs> happening near Cannes. Uh, do the yeah. French play volleyball? They must. Um, I mean, there's volleyball. certainly going to be Top Gun branded volleyballs everywhere at, at Cannes. Man, that'd right? be sick. I'd love to get a can Top Gun Maverick volleyball. <laughs> Maybe I <laughs> try and go to Cannes just to get that. <laughs> so sad. Uh, but then the other Cannes news. <laughs> yes. They've officially partnered with TikTok. <laughs> Yeah. Huge news for us. I'm stunned. Sure, as we tweeted today as we record this. Um, yeah, they're going to show a bunch of TikToks, I guess, in some sort of program. Yes. And there's then... <laughs> vertical short films that are between 30 seconds and three minutes in length will be considered for the <laughs> Global In-App Can Festival TikTok competition. <laughs> In-App. So you're not going to be able to, like, go to a theater to see these screened vertically, which I think would be really funny. But uh, you have to watch them in the app, it seems. Uh, The jury of the first edition of the hashtag TikTok short film will be presided over by a well-known director whose name will be announced at a later stage. The awards will be handed out during the festival at an event attended by Thierry Frameau. Yes, right. That's the only name, right, that they're promising so far is that Terry Fermo will be there. Yeah. When you get your award and be like, oh, what a great job you did making a vertical video. Yeah. Um, vertical oh. short film is such a disgusting turn of phrase. <laughs> oh, what do you mean? 
It just gives me the willies. What would you call them? I don't know. Portrait mode. <laughs> you know. Sure. Portrait mode. I mean, sorry, also, I, I brought. Like... I didn't mean to slam the no, freaking. I, I mean, I guess <laughs> the problem. Festival. The problem is more that like a short film. You could. That's just theoretically that could just be in any format. I don't know why you need to be like vertical short film. If right. I don't know. I guess it's not. Does TikTok have editing tools, or do people like edit it outside of TikTok and then upload it if they're editing it? Uh, but I assume both. I, I, mm. I mean, it, I think it does have some level of editing tool, but I, I do assume much like Vine or like any of those platforms. Like if you're doing any like real like serious stuff, then you're probably editing sure. outside outside of the app. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I mean. I guess is it can anyone just submit? Should we submit something? <laughs> I mean, do we have a TikTok account famously? Can I ticket? Oh, um is our TikTok account. I, uh, I we, feel like just based on the name we wouldn't get selected. Yeah, that's like <laughs> the guy showing up at like the open audition or whatever like invincible. <laughs> Uh, dressed in full like team memorabilia. It's right. Like, your name is Can I Take It? Like, and of course you can't be here, you loser. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then, if any of our listeners really want to like take the plunge and try to get something entered into the uh, short film, we'll we'll gladly interview you about the process if you get accepted. Uh, we'll uh, we'll promote your 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 TikTok short in any way that we can. Uh, certainly, we're we're all in on this, and we're definitely going to uh, to make this a big part of our identity going forward. Is this uh, can uh, can TikTok competition? I'll say, anyone who is accepted into can competition, we will interview you about what it was like. <laughs> <laughs> TikTok into or any otherwise, level. yeah. Right? <laughs> that offers on the table like, in, in case it wasn't known that that was available. To yeah. Who do you think us. the big name director is? <laughs> My it's guess gonna be someone funny, I think. My guess is gonna be Joseph Kaczynski. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, "We'll put your movie here, but you have to do this." And he's like, "Uh, okay." Uh, no, it'll be Jordan, whatever, who directed Joel something, who directed Kurtz Two and Puss in Boots Two. I already forget his name. What was the Joel it was Crawford? A, it's it's a what's the it's listed as a well-known international filmmaker is what it's listed as, or what is the language? Exactly? I thought it was well-known director, just well-known director. Yeah. To be okay. announced at a later stage. I wonder how well-known, what if it's the I fucking mean... <laughs> blue is warm color guy? <laughs> <laughs> See, I was thinking like, this is in Joseph Gordon-Levitt's wheelhouse. He's already got hit record. As well, <laughs> you would call it, That's how you would refer to Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a well-known director. Yeah, and he's like, Mr. Corbin, <laughs> he directed Don John. Oh, oh, Monsieur yeah. Corman. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I, like I, don't, I don't necessarily like, we think love of Don him John. as... I don't think of him as a well-known director. I think that they wouldn't have any qualms calling him a well-known no, director. No, that feels like they'd be stretching. Everyone would be like, what do you mean, well-known director? He hasn't directed anything. And they'd be like, wait, 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 Don John, don't you remember? He loves porn. And everyone's like, huh? But yeah. Some big can news happening these days. Yes, so that's our as that's we get our closer to the festival. Right, it's coming up. We're a couple months out. 
Uh, right. Also, I guess, like, South by Southwest is happening now. There's been a couple of big premieres. Yeah. Um, everything is getting good notices. Shocker at South by Southwest. Whoever could have foreseen such a circumstance. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more next week, I think. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. South by Southwest, I might have to draw a line on the sand. They have, like, too much NFT energy, and Texas has all their awful shit that they're doing right now. We maybe shouldn't put a spotlight on them. I sure okay I mean I don't know how much the Texas government is yeah but I mean to do with South by Southwest but uh I mean obviously they're doing terrible things in the Texas government state government um yeah uh, yeah. I don't know I mean there's a couple of movies that I think are sound there's a few movies that we might talk about at a later date for sure on a later Um, stage (laughs) well-known directors have made movies at South by Southwest (laughs) yeah uh yeah so, let's now let's throw it back all the way back to the nineteen fifties and forties, even forties. Yeah. Uh, well, before because I do want to talk a little bit about Palette Pressburg. Yeah, I know like nothing about these guys. These are the first ask, two movies familiar... I've seen from these guys. Uh, obviously, I've heard of them. The archers, like, as they're known, right? As I and, like associate them with like with Technicolor, I guess, was, like, the main association in my head I had with them just from seeing stills. Sure. Uh, but uh, I, I really know nothing, knew nothing about their, like, style or work or, or process or history or anything. So what do we got? What about, or sorry, what about you, Amelia? How familiar yeah. are you with the archers? These are the only two I've seen. I saw the Red Shoes a couple of weeks ago. I, uh, I'm fam- I, much like Andy, I'm familiar with, like, the title of their movies. I'm familiar with, like, the general look and tenor. But I had never seen them until now, and I have thoughts, but we can save this. Now, what about you, Daniel? Um, my relationship with Palin Pressburger began, I would say, at the beginning of my freshman year in college. My film club uh, and my college showed A Matter of Life and Death. Um, and at that point, I had been watching a lot of old movies, and I had never heard of them or that movie before that point. Um... And I came out of it kind of cold. I wasn't really moved by it, but I was also like, that is one of the most ridiculously beautiful things I've ever seen. I can't believe that was made in the 1940s. And so even though that one, I wasn't super enthusiastic about it beyond the visuals. I was like, I have to watch more of their movies to like see, because there must be at least one of their movies that's just going to click for me completely. And so I watched Black Narcissist, and I kind of had the same reaction to it. And then I watched The Red Shoes, and that was the one that sort of clicked it all into place. That was the first one that I loved. Um, and we'll talk about it later, but there are movies of theirs I love more now than The Red Shoes, but this is still, you know, up there, and it's still, like, a great film. And I think the most accessible entry point to their work, I'd say. I don't know if you agree, Colin, since you've seen a lot of his, a lot of their movies. Yeah, too. I think I would agree. Um, it it sort of does like the mix of what I think they are great at the best, even though Matter of Life and Death is maybe more I don't know easy because it is so like romantic and like has its happy ending, and uh, Red Shoes is obviously much more tragic. Um, yeah. But they are some of my favorite filmmakers, I think. They've made, like, 
three movies that I would say are like the best, maybe. Um, they started like making propaganda films, uh, like early into like like Michael Powell was working during like the First World War, and he made the movie The Spy in Black with Conrad Veidt. Veidt. Um, and then they started working together more so um, and making movies like 49th Parallel, which Pressburger, Emmerich Pressburger won an Academy Award for Best Story. And they would do thrillers. One of our aircraft is missing was, I think, the first one that they were addressed as in the as the archers. And there's a thing that is the archers manifesto which i had not heard of until today <laughs> which is their five points that express their intentions which is like they were trying to get someone to be uh, uh wendy hiller to be in life and death of colonel blimp and they have these five like tenets <laughs> and i'm gonna read them uh very quickly these, the... so he says uh, this is just like per the wikipedia page of the archers but it says we uh, number one is we owe allegiance to nobody except the financial interests which provide our money and to them the sole responsibility of ensuring them a profit not a loss uh number two is every single foot in our films is our own responsibility and nobody else's we refuse to be guided or coerced by any influence but our own judgment number three is when we start work on a new idea we must be a year ahead not only of our competitors but also of the times a real film from idea to universal release takes a year or more <clears throat> number four is no artist believes in escapism and we secretly believe that no audience does we have proved at any rate that they will pay to see the truth for other reasons than their nakedness and number five is at any time and particularly the present the self-respect of all our collaborators from star to prop man is sustained or diminished by theme and purpose of the film they are working on which is like really uh funny that they have these like hard line ideals in their production process um, but they just they just worked together a lot and um, they made a lot of great movies I think and in like the early 40s they made Colonel Blimp uh, A Canterbury Tale I Know Where I'm Going um, Matter of Life and Death and then in the late 40s uh, they made uh, Black Narcissus and The Red Shoes in 1948 which is chronologically the first movie we were going to talk about and then um yeah this one was at venice in competition in 1949 um let me look up what won the golden lion but yeah uh what did andy and amelia i'm very curious what you both thought of red shoes since i know this was your first exposures to uh palin pressburger yeah uh i i mean i really loved it i thought it was really uh pretty incredible um i think that i've never seen a character i have wanted to be more than boris lermontov just like the sheer power to be like this what is a like, I am, to drop. 
I know I've been sitting on this since last night. Truly like, was almost, not expecting I this. almost sent it to the group DM, but then was like, no, I, I should save like, that. Is he going to say Caster? <laughs> no, just because, like, to have that level of artistic power of just, like, I'm going to, like, put on art my way, and, like, I if I want to put in a un reasonable rule about that you can't be on in love with anyone when if you want to be an artist who works for me like just to be able to do that and be like no it's it's impacting the art you can't you can't she's do like that. the jedi yeah exactly <laughs> um, i just like it's just like i think it's a tremendous character who i really loved watching on screen and i love imagining what it would be like to be like able to be like yeah sure I'll, I'll give you a job or whatever and then like five people show up and are like he said he gave me a job like what's and everyone else is just like fine like all right like oh wait over there we'll deal with you later uh just yeah i think like yeah he's he's a tremendous character and i, I love watching him on screen this is very surprising to me well, I, I figured i figured i was like i bet andy loves this because it's about artistic creation it's about collaboration it's sure. about all these things that you always talk about liking. Yeah. Movies are about them and liking, like, when you... The filmmaking processes that prioritize those things. Sure, sure, sure. Yes, yes, and, absolutely. I mean, and that, certainly that is all there and I loved it all. Yeah, certainly. I mean, Lermontov... Yeah, he's an interesting character because he is kind of totalitarian and very <laughs> rigid in the rules he sets. But he is also, like, his strength, like, what makes him good. He's like a producer, basically. He doesn't... Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't create any of the stuff himself, but he knows how to surround himself with talented people. Right. And he yeah, knows how to push them to do their and, work. Yeah. Right, and he sees potential in people. Yeah. But he is also, <laughs> in many ways, not a good person. <laughs> so what are you talking like about? someone else I know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what about I was just like I'm not surprised at all Andy only cares about power <laughs> working with him on this podcast is exactly like working uh, but yeah what did you think Emilio who do you uh, want to be in the movie <laughs> I mean nobody but uh <laughs> I can't think of a character I want to be more <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> I can think of a lot of them. Yeah, what about like <laughs> fucking Superman or something? You can fly. And he's like, no, 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 no. I want the power. It's like him or... You know, Did you see that breakfast dictator. spread he was being served? Like, to have someone like like uh, put out like grapes and like all this stuff for you for breakfast? Like, yeah, God. Anyway. God, I can't believe that this is Andy's version of the like the people who want to be Wolf of Wall Street. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Andy's like a, a grind set, bro. Like men's thought. I didn't Instagram realize this would be Black Panther Wallbrook. for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just like he, this guy's really sick. Just like Andy, Andy with a Scarface poster of Leventhal in his room. I just throw away all my notes. I didn't realize this. Was yeah, this is the whole episode now. Okay, sorry. Yeah, we keep good. Like, this movie's good. We're going to examine Andy's brain. Okay, Amelia. Um, I liked it. Uh, I have uh, I have this. Uh, I I wrote this once about Purple Rain. But Purple Rain is a movie that I mostly thought was fine, and then Purple Rain happens in Purple Rain, and now I'm like, oh, this movie's incredible, actually, and I'm weirdly crying. And that's sort of how I feel about The Red Shoes, which is, like, a movie that I mostly think is fine, and then when The Red Shoes start 
kicking in and they do the red shoes stuff i'm like yeah this is incredible this is like absolutely one of the most gorgeous things ever put on screen and it is incredibly moving and entertaining and emotional but apart from that it's like a story i think it's like there is certainly interesting aspects of it like with lemontov and the caster stuff but i think i'm sort of on the opposite side of andy these days of just like stuff about making art is just like not really what i'm drawn into these days It's interesting because, yeah, because the structure is very interesting because the first half before the ballet is very, yeah, yeah, before the Red Shoes ballet is very, not dry, but very grounded and down to earth. And it's like very much about here is the process of like actually what it takes to create like a ballet and like writing it, getting the choreography, getting the design, sort of the nuts and bolts actually creating this thing. And so it's like keeps ballooning these expectations of like we're working so hard on this thing it has to be great everyone's being pushed to the limit and so the movie itself creates all these expectations for how good the ballet has to be and then you're right and when it gets to it it's like undeniably one of the great things and <laughs> great scenes in movies um and then my i think this is a great movie i do think the second half is uh, considerably weaker than the first the beginning up to the ballet I think is one of the greatest movies ever made and then the second half is good but it the tone changes a lot because it's all sort of the ballet is so intense and so it kind of destroy before you realize it at the end the ballet in the middle sort of destroys everyone who made it and it's all about kind of the psychic fallout of them putting all their work into that and everyone's sort of spiraling out and then it creates all these like uh triangles of obsession and weird melodrama people throwing things into mirrors and stuff until it gets to the end where then it sort of loops back around to the delirium of the middle of the of the ballet in the uh in the center where there is the question at the end of like did she kill herself spoiler (laughs) or is like there's that shot of the shoes when she's like walking towards them and there's this weird moment where you're like are they actually magic are they are they like driving her to uh destruction and so it's like the complete collapse of logic and reality in the film because everyone is so consumed by the art that they're creating that they become uh like subsumed by it um yeah yeah the i almost agree with you mostly daniel because like when i first watched it i think it was like late 2020 i watched it after i like first started getting into ballet and everyone was like you have to watch this movie you're gonna lose your mind and i did and like of course like the ballet like everyone's saying is so gorgeous like they, as Andy mentioned, like being associating them just generally with Technicolor, it is like this jaw droppingly gorgeous work of Technicolor film and like their tricks that they use uh, to do everything, like that's so revolutionary, is like 
hard to deny, I think, at all. Like, it is just an astounding piece of work where it's like, yeah, this is the best thing I've ever seen, maybe. Um, and at the time, like, it was just that, and then everything else, I was like, yeah, this is also good. And I basically am just, like, com- combining everything with the the peak of, like, yeah. movies, maybe, <laughs> with uh, everything else that's good. It's like, this is a great movie. And then when I... Like, I've watched more of their work um, since then, and when I rewatched it uh, for this, I was, like, the first, like, before the ballet is, like, maybe my favorite stuff in the movie, and them, like, the way that they all end up together is, like, so exciting, and I remember, like, uh, you know, Marius Goring, like, when he is conducting... uh, And they're, like, roasting him for, like, (laughs) getting the orchestra there too early, and, like... All this stuff, I'm like, this is like the juice. Like he's so cool. Uh, they are all so like, uh, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, also, yeah, <laughs> Wahlberg is like, he's so steely. He looks like a vampire for a lot of the movie. Like when anytime he's in the sunlight and he's got his hat and glasses on, I'm like, he just looks like a vampire. And yeah. like especially when they're in Monte Carlo, um, and then the the love story that happens afterwards, I think, um, or like before and at, like during and afterwards, um, it's, I think it's very good, but not like as high as the peaks of the early stuff where it's like, they are at the bar together after like the first big performance in the, at the beginning of the movie. And then, uh, sheer like, uh, shows up to that practice <laughs> or that rehearsal and, like, everyone's trying to get in, and it is just, like, so bustling, and, like, everything that's happening happening in it is, like, so exciting. And I'm just, like, this movie has such a pulse and, like, such an energy, and I just love it. And then, obviously, the ballet happens, and it is, like, you're peaking or whatever. And then the rest of the movie is yeah. dealing with that fallout. But then, like, at the end, when they... Like, I forgot about how crazy Wahlberg is when he's like, uh, he will not be here tonight or any other night and like screaming. And then uh, they do the empty spotlight and it's like the saddest thing that I've ever seen where it's yeah. just everyone dancing around the spotlight that she would right, be in. The star performance. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I can't believe they did this. And like, like Daniel was saying, of like whether or not the shoes actually killed her or not there's that shot where she is running down the stairs and like the way that they film it like twisting and everything it looks like mm-hmm. she's just being pulled by her feet like yeah it, it it creates this like sense of force to the bottom of her feet like just pulling her uh and it's so just crazy looking and like that end which i mean then where they they take her shoes off is like <laughs> such a crazy thing like how bright it all looks uh, I was I was like super struck by it, like in a way that I don't know if I was the first time I watched it, and uh, it's I think it's just excellent. It's one of their best movies I think, whereas like other ones that I had watched previously and rewatched after getting into them, they kind of like sunk or settled, and like this one went up even from my estimation of it being already great, and I do think it is just tremendous. Yeah. Whatever the delineation between great and tremendous is, sure, that's sure, up for sure, you sure. to decide. Yeah. yeah. I think 
a pro- I think a problem that I had with the second half that maybe this is a problem that you have is that like beyond just a series of just like actions and consequences necessary for the story to play out, I don't know if I really ever buy the relationship there. I don't, they never feel like I never felt in the first half of like oh these two people are obviously going to get together and they have some like connection beyond the work really. Yeah, it's like. I mean, if it works at all, it's kind of on a very metaphorical level where, like, it, like, uh, the, I'm forgetting his name, the composer. Um, Oh, uh, Craster. Craster. Right, thank you. Marius Goring is the actor. Yeah. He, like, represents a lot of things in opposition to Lermontov. One is he's a more openly emotional person, and he also represents in his work... Like, at the beginning, he kind of, uh, uh, shoes aside the idea of ballet as a real art and favors pure music as, like, the real, like, uh, vehicle for, like, expression. And so they are always at odds about that, even though he goes to work with them. Um, and then they all, they're both, like, tugging at, they both want to keep uh vicky and you know keep hold of her and so there's all these and so that represents like their obsessions and like their philosophical approaches to the world and to their art and so i i think it works on that level of just sort of those ideas kind of uh being represented but i i agree i because in the first half they have a very friendly relationship like, they get to know each other, and they like each other, and they have that nice scene on the balcony in Ma- at Monte Carlo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but there's not much that hints that they, like, would become obsessed with each other in that way. And so I agree. When it gets to the end, when it's Lermontov shows up in her dressing room, and then he shows up out of nowhere, and they're, like, yeah. grabbing her. I like this scene... But I'm also, it, it just feels a little too contrived for me. Uh, it's like, but I mean, th- that's also the trade-off. Like, that's the level the movie's working on now, is it, it collapses into those metaphors, into, like, the story of the Red Shoes almost literally destroys her life. And so you, it, it, that's that's the premise of the movie in a way, and so it has to do that. And I don't know if there's a way to get around that. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's dealing in, like, yeah, just that very archetypal space right it's just like yes these are like the young lovers like and like they're in love because we're telling you that they're in love and like yeah and it's like the decision she makes at the end is like a battle for her soul and it's not really if because if you take it on because if you try to take it on the level of just like picking between these two guys i'm sort of just like well, Lemitov's an asshole, but I don't really like like this other. He's a, he's sort of a weirdo also, and he's kind of whiny yeah. for showing up here. So, it's, so it, it, this isn't really much of a compelling choice. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. The the two halves are so different because the first half is very grounded and like obsessed with the details of actually right. what this takes. And I wanted to bring up Black Swan, which uh, gets oh, sure. compared to this a lot, or. When Black Swan came out, everyone was talking about, oh, this is like the Red Shoes. And it's the same sort of idea where they're the life-imitating art and 
the art, the ballet dancer completely losing her mind. I like Black Swan. I also think it feels to me Darren, o- Darren Aronofsky like doesn't actually care about ballet as anything other than like a vehicle. It's just the he likes it because it's extremely physically demanding and like destroys people. Mm-hmm. Versus like Michael Powell and Emmett Pressburger were like, we want to make a ballet movie. <laughs> Um, yeah right yeah we love this art form certainly yeah i watched some of the commentary on uh the the criterion commentary i didn't watch all of it but there's some good information that i learned um it it people come in and out it's like pre-recorded it's not a running commentary so scorsese's on it sometimes and then morris sheer marius goring and then uh jack cardiff who did the cinematography and he did a lot of their movies and is a master Mm -hmm. uh and then brian easdale who did the score who at the time was kind of an unknown he had done the black narcissist score um right before but he hadn't done any of their other movies i forget who did someone who is much more high profile but Mm -hmm. uh they didn't like what that guy wrote for the score and so they asked easdale to like write the ballet music and he did and they liked it so they hired him for the film and so he's on the on it too, uh, and Michael Powell. I forget if I mentioned that. And this was filmed. This was recorded in the '90s or whatever. Um, yeah. And so Emmerich Pressburger, uh, he was like the way their collaboration worked, as is my understanding, is um, like it's they started because Michael Powell was a basically a B movie director, and uh, Pressburger was a screenwriter, and they sort of got paired together, and I guess obviously liked collaborating. And then they did a few movies together where they didn't share credits. And then they decided to form their own company and share credits on everything. So they were joint producers, writers, and directors. From what I understand, um, it was more Pressburger would write the scripts, then they would rewrite it together. They would joint produce. And then Pal would be the one mostly actually directing the film, but Pressburger would always be on set to like help out. But they they weren't like really like equal directing like right. on set. But they decided to share credit for all of that. That was that was their mm-hmm. idea. Um, sure. Yeah. Alan Gray is their uh, was their composer Alan Gray. Yeah. for most of their films. Yeah. Yeah, who had done a lot of stuff. Um, and yes. also quickly, Forty uh, Ninth Parallel was edited by David Lean. I did not know that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, and so. Yeah, I mean, their whole thing is, and not their whole thing, but one of their big things, and I think this represents itself in the movie itself, is they knew how to get talented people surrounding them, right? Yeah. Like, it's clear, you don't watch any of their movies and you're like, oh, Pal and Pressburger, look at everything they're doing, this is great. It's so clear, there's so much work from the costume designers, the yeah. art direction, to the cinematography, to, in this case, and Tales of Hoffman, the choreography and the singers mm-hmm. and stuff. There is so much, like, you can feel so many different artists collaborating to create this thing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Pressburger wrote this script in the 30s for Alexander Korda, who's this big British director and producer. Um, and they it was never produced, and then that was before he started working with Powell. And then in the mid-40s, they decided they wanted to make a ballet movie, and so they bought the rights to the script Pressburger had written uh, back from Alexander Korda. And then that it was only at that point that they realized, oh, what we should do is we should 
put the ballet in the middle of the movie. Like, that wasn't part of... The script was, like, the rise and fall sort of life-imitating art thing. Mm -hmm. It was not until they got the script back that they had the idea of actually putting the ballet in the middle and it being completely unlike anything that had ever been filmed before, where you're not watching the ballet being performed you never there's no audience position at right. that point yeah you don't see you the were just seeing it yeah. you are completely and it's not even it's not even something like, you could watch as a, if like if obviously yeah. using a lot of cinematic he, yeah he refers to, yeah he refers to in the commentary frequently as film ballet like he, he it's not <laughs> ballet it's film sure, ballet yeah. um where like obviously for various reasons all the stuff you do in it is impossible to do on a stage um but you're also like at a certain point, it starts pretty normal with you have the shoemaker played by Leonid Messine, who's also like a famous dance, Russian dancer and choreographer. Um, and then it sort of fades into the city shot of everyone dancing. And you can be like, oh, that's like the background being drawn up or whatever. But then when she puts on the red shoes and like they tie themselves automatically. I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, whoa, that's sort of the big like yeah, moment when right. you realize this is not like reality. Literal. Yeah. yeah, and then they start doing all these different tricks with superimpositions and slow motion, and then all these mm-hmm. different sets, and the camera swiveling around, and it become, and you see like she's like hallucinating seeing Lermontov and Craster like walk onto the stage and sort of dominate over her, and so it becomes very psychological and intense and completely delirious, and you can see how it sort of like destroys her. Um, or, like, you can see the seeds for the destruction there and how she's feeling when she's... I think that's a trick, is you're not watching the ballet, you're not, like, watching what they're seeing, you're just, like, in her emotions as she's performing it. So, like, the physical and mental exertion she is going through mm-hmm. as it's being performed, you kind of see it all visualized in front of you. And it's, it's very yeah. incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, like, it's definitely, like... It's something like the concept of a dream ballet is like very important to the musical theater of the 1940s and 1950s. Like a lot of those like classic golden age musicals incorporate a big sort of and often, you know, the end of act one is like a 10 minute dream ballet where it is psychological and acting out like these characters sort of things. And so I saw a lot of connections to that in the 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 ballet as it is presented here and certainly like i cannot deny that it is like an extremely like gobsmacking technical achievement and like a really like wonderful like 15 20 however long however long it is minutes of film like to watch i do like part of me like i don't know how much i actually believe this but part of me has an impulse to argue that it it sort of breaks the movie a little bit by doing it that way that by because like so much of this is about this the the remaining story is about like how much of a sensation she was in that in the red shoes and how much it it makes her like an iconic star instantly that like us not not being able to see what the audience has seen and and makes her that way sort of makes the rest of the movie a little bit hard to like leaves you with without leaves you without something that like yeah. you're, you you don't quite get and and it and it hurts the second half of the movie in that way but like i would also never for a moment say like they shouldn't have done it that way because yeah. it is just so spectacular and like uh, incredible to watch yeah um, it, yeah 
Yeah, it is interesting because I, I that is like a very conscious choice they are making. Is there yeah. firmly not an outsider's view of what's going on? It's like in the first half, it is an insider's view of how this stuff is all pulled off, and then uh, hyper insider's view of being in someone inside someone's brain, basically as this is being pulled off. And yeah. I agree. I don't know if I agree in the same way, but like like I said earlier, there are things I'm not sure about in the second half. Uh, it's sort of. It does struggle a little bit. I mean, this mirrors the struggles of the characters. Is there that was such a gigantic thing that, like, it haunts them for the rest of their lives and they can't really get back to it. And likewise, mm-hmm. I think the movie. I again, I like the second half. I don't want to keep knocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of really good stuff in it, um, and the ending is amazing. But yeah, it does sort of. It can't. They kind of damn themselves by putting that in the middle of the movie because <laughs> it's like obviously like the movie can't be that good again and i think uh which it doesn't have to be but i think the movie sort of struggles to find more drama to uh sort of match up to that yeah but and, and i mean last week we obviously talked about concert films and we talked about the differences in approach there and in like how much do you need to feel compelled to just filming a concert and like trying to just share that experience versus how much you are trying to enhance it through filmmaking and try to capture certain emotional aspects of it on screen that maybe you wouldn't be aware of or be able to perceive if you were just a person watching it at home. I, I mean, watching it live. And I think the choice that they make in the red shoes is just the choice to be like, well, we're saying that this is the most incredible ballet ever filmed, uh, ever like shown and produced and played, that, that people are losing their minds over. So we need to go big and we need to show the people at ho- the people watching this in a theater because this is a movie something unlike they've ever seen before and something that's going to blow them away because there is probably no way in which we could film just a person doing ballet in a normal context of just like pointing a camera on stage that would translate to in order to make the point that the movie wants to make later of just like how insanely incredible and unbelievable this is and how this would completely distort everyone's sense of what they can do and what they want to do. Cause I think that is sort of ultimately the point that the movie's making of just like, well, if you could make something as beautiful as the red shoes, isn't there like, what not you sort of ruin your life to maybe yeah. c- continue making that happen? Like, like that is sort of the gambit of the of a movie like red shoes is that, the ballet needs to be incredible or if not the movie is just bad like even if like both the thing before and after the ballet were like individually like pretty compelling if the ballet isn't a technical achievement one of the greatest things ever put on film then the movie just plain doesn't work yeah it has to be one of the greatest things you've ever seen or the fallout of it doesn't really make sense um yeah i mean i don't think I, I I think, I'm thinking about it, I don't think you need an outsider. I don't think you need to know what other people think of the ballet 
I think knowing how she feels about it and knowing what Lermontov feels about it and knowing what Craster feels about it is enough. I think whether the ballet itself was commercially successful or obviously plot wise you need her to become super famous and everyone wants her back but i think all that really matters is that both of those men know how good she was she knows how good she was and she has to struggle with what she owes them and what they owe her um Mm -hmm. and so it becomes it, it becomes weirdly much more intimate in the second half because all the secondary characters like the costume designer or the other dancers don't really matter anymore it's just about what how this affects these three people and i think like success and like, like commercial success and fame is not really one of the ideas this is exploring i think like they're thinking of what trying to make great art that let's say other great artists acknowledges great art and trying to win approval from all these people so i don't think you need that outsider's perspective to get that across uh yeah and yeah and, and i mean that's why lebentov is how he is as a character and the function he serves within the plot of just like he ru- he had an incredibly prestigious ballet company and he ruled it with his iron fist. So it yeah, it doesn't really matter what the people think about it. As it more matters what he thinks about it because yeah, she knows that he is the person who determines his, her career, and he, she knows he is where the prestige lies, and he, she knows that even if. Once acquiring all this prestige from doing the red shoes, she can become this world-recognized, incredibly famous, talented ballerina that there will always be a part of her that will wonder if there is any, if she could make anything greater than the red shoes or if something like the red shoes is only possible under him. Yeah. 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 Uh, were you going to say, Colin? Okay. Uh, no, I just wanted to bring up uh, Maura Shearer, who I don't think we've talked about that much. Like, she's obviously extremely great in it. It's kind of a thing I seem to take for granted when she's about, like, she was she was not an actress, obviously. She was a ballet dancer that they found. Uh, and, according to the commentary, <laughs> kind of pestered into finally taking the part. Because it was seen as, like, because uh, ballet is such an elite sort of right, profession. It's the, high, to... it's the high high to low. You're right. Yeah, so it's like, oh, you're going to do a movie now? A and so common, they had to... Com- for the common man? No. <laughs> yeah, and so, I mean, but to sort of convince her and to convince the ballet world that this was an actual thing with some value, they had to, like, surround themselves with the best collaborators. And, like, uh, Thomas Beecham, who was this incredibly, maybe the most famous British conductor at the time, like, conducted all the music for it and so they had all these very renowned high profile people in the music world in the ballet world working on the film with them to convince you know other people to work with them and so yeah i i kind of take it for granted that when a ballet dancer like does ballet well (laughs) i'm like i don't think of it as like oh yeah this is part of her great performance she's just doing really good ballet because that's what she's good at but it is like really great obviously yeah. Um, and she's I don't know what her other work film work is if any beyond uh, her work with 
Powell and Pressburger. Like, we'll talk about it. She's in Tales of Hoffman. Mm-hmm. And she did a basically one scene performance in Peeping Tom with Michael Powell 12 years later. So, like, way after all of this. Um, yeah, she's on the. Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. I just say that. I just want to say that what you mentioned is something that I have tried to be more conscious of when speaking about actors and performances like thinking about people like a person like Jackie Chan and and, and it's like do, well do you consider like him his fight choreography and his stunt work like acting I think a lot of people wouldn't but I think you kind of have to you have to consider that as part yeah. of his full body of work in the performance and same with like a person singing on screen and a person dancing on screen and it's just like you have to consider part of that part of the performance because if it was bad then you would say it was a bad part of the performance yeah yeah even though it's like not out of her comfort zone not to say she was comfortable or you know not trying extremely hard to do this great work but not out of her set of skills uh to do a lot of that ballet work doesn't mean that she still doesn't do an incredible job at it in addition to all you know all the dramatic stuff and she's extremely charismatic and great to watch um but yeah Yeah. and in the commentary she talks she she says she read the script at first and she thought it was trash um (laughs) she was like this is very silly this is not how the ballet works and from what i could tell from the commentary she doesn't seem to have changed her position. <laughs> That's it, very funny. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It doesn't sound like... And she doesn't sound, like, bitter about it. Like, obviously, she liked working with them. Otherwise, she wouldn't keep doing it. But yeah. she does talk about, like, how the movie's kind of silly and not representative. And she That's talks really about funny. at the scene where... That great scene where she's going up for the meeting at Monte Carlo and she puts on that dress and walks up the stairs and it's like almost like a princess. She's like, oh, that scene is so magical. I think the movie should have had more of that magical stuff to it. Unfortunately, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) So she, she doesn't speak extremely highly of it, though. She's not like, obviously she's participating and remembering it, talking about it. And she talks about how hard it was to perform because especially in the ballet, in the middle, like, it's all, like, two-second bursts, right? It's yeah, all these so quick I, cuts yeah. and different things, and it's very hard, because part, she describes a part of it is you have to, like, get going to, like, be able to continue doing ballet to sort of get... Yeah, I mean, it's so momentum-based. Yeah, in this one, it's, like, because it's so cinematic, she can't... They, they never film... There are very few shots where they filmed where she danced for more than, like, ten seconds. It's so crazy. Uh... Yeah, and also, like, all the sets had concrete floors and, like, destroyed their ankles and stuff. I can't imagine. God, it must have been awful. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it seems that stuff was rough. Um, Yeah, yeah. I do think she is very good. Um, The scene at the end that you were talking about earlier where um, they're both in her dressing room sort of pulling her apart from each other. uh, And she's, like, just having this breakdown. And she's, like, like, don't make me choose. And, like you know telling yeah. uh goring that she's like i do love you and like just the brutal like brutality of it it is so present like on her face and that is like what the movie nowadays is sold on is just that like picture of her face yeah almost doing like the home alone <laughs> like she is just <laughs> like full like crazed eyes and like just completely like 
hypnotized almost and like yeah it's it's a it's a it is a really great performance i think yeah um i do want to say too because i think i i, I couldn't like describe of this is what the pal and pressburger thing is uh outside of like the tenets you you <laughs> you said colin which basically base uh, boiled down to we're gonna make good movies that have good ideas and make money <laughs> yeah right. they seem to be kind Listen, of broad they had the keys to the kingdom they figured it out but it does <laughs> i think it does like this movie was a huge success even in america it was their breakout hit and so even though it kind of has an elite subject and it's very right. high class and stuff it did like appeal to you know people i think who maybe i don't know yeah wouldn't have watched ballet or I really mean, yeah, cared but, about it. Right, because, like, th- they take this, like, you know, high art form that is, like, easily, you know, can be, there's a lot of barriers to entry there to, like, knowing, like, what is good ballet and that sort of thing. And, like, yeah, they, they put it in with this, like, it's, like, a very, like, common, like, backstage, like, Star yeah. is Born story that, like, you anyone can understand. Uh, I think, yeah, it's a really nice marriage. I do want to also shout out, I love the very, very beginning of the movie when they're where at. it's, uh, the, like the, the people in the cheap seats all like jockeying for position yeah. and like, they're like, there's like two sets of people, two of them who, of whom are here to see the dancer and two of whom are there yeah. to hear the music. And they're like, they're like, why? Like they're arguing over like, what's the more important art form and stuff, yeah. which I love. That is, uh, I do. That's one of my favorite yeah. scenes. And it's then, just, like, it's, that's yeah, when he really hears good. the music and he's like i wrote Wait, this <laughs> yeah this yeah this has been lifted from my homework um uh yeah i i yeah i think i and, and like yeah positioning it like she goes to covent garden and like uh you see all the people there and like the just like yeah the backstage hustle and bustle i think it's just like yeah it's it's a great way to like yeah to to do this like high art form in a in a populist way yeah it's a great like classic great godfather-esque opening to a movie where you have this big setting lots of music dramatic all the characters are introduced right here you get all their deals instantly yeah. it's very like uh emotional and compelling and it draws you in instantly and i also love i i wanted to point out when they like get to their seats and pull out all their food and then you see the card yeah uh, wipe right. across the right 45 this is minutes like 45 later. minutes later which i think that's like very that's a very Powell and Pressburger touch of them of sort of with like very wittily sort of just, you know, calling kind of calling attention to themselves of like, we're not even going to have a cut or a fade. We're just going to say now we're 45 minutes later. Yeah. It does that with like just enough humor. And I think you sort of need that touch because a movie like this, which is kind of in many ways, very archetypal and very, it can be very like pretentious and like very, dour especially when it gets to the end and i think what keeps it from doing that besides like just the high quality of you know all the technical elements is they do have that like kind of humor going through the whole thing it's very like yeah if you watch a like a lot of other movies especially like a lot of british movies from this period are all very they all emphasized realism seriousness that was sort of the post-war mood of you know this is life as it is. And I think what you said, Colin, was interesting because they said one of their tenets was like, we want like human truths. Like this isn't escapism. This is yeah. like real things right. people are discussing, but also it looks like this and it has those yeah. stylistic flourishes. And so it is this like interesting match of it's like 
very thought-provoking and very well-made and professional and it also it is about these like important subjects but done with humor and like in a way that like kind of appeals to everyone there's this sort of universal quality to it that like no i've never seen any any film that's not there it sort of replicates that quality that like a matter of life and death has or i know where i'm going or a canterbury tale um yeah it's very interesting i also wanted to shout out uh robert heltman who's in the movie not in the big role he's one of the dancers he's the dance in the one part of the ballet it's the funeral or something he has the one with the christ like arms out while she's like sort of pleading to him he did the choreography for the ballet and you know it that choreography is all great and he's also in tales of hoffman a lot more so we'll talk about him more there yeah um, which is yeah. a good transition point to right. tales of hoffman i did quickly okay yeah so um at the venice uh festival that red shoes was in competition with it, it lost to uh the cluzo film manon manon not sure how you say it um but uh yeah that's what it, that was and then at the Cannes Film Festival that uh, Tales of Hoffman was in competition for, um, they were doing Grand Prix at the time instead of Palm, and it was a tie uh, between Miss Julie by Alf Sjöberg and Miracle in Milan by Vittorio De Sica, and Tales of Hoffman won a special award there. And then it was at the first Berlin, as Andy said, that they won the silver bear for best music film. But at the time Berlin was doing split by genre basically. And they had a winner, uh, a golden bear winner in each category. So the other movie that was in the music film competition that tells of Hoffman lost to was Cinderella. And so it okay. is a silver bear, but it literally is just like you the were Disney the other Cinderella? one. Yes. Yes. Not sure. Wow. Wilfred Jackson, Hamilton Lusk, and Clyde Germoni. Um, um, but yes. Okay, before, sorry. can I say something real quick? Uh, sure. So earlier in the episode, we talked about a Hollywood Reporter uh, news story that uh, Top Gun Maverick is premiering at Cannes. Oh, sure. And now yeah. Deadline is reporting that Elvis is premiering at Cannes. Wow. In competition or just? Uh, no idea. I did. I can't imagine. Maybe they wouldn't be announcing. This is breaking news, but uh, this wow. is yeah breaking news as we're recording. Um, I mean, I, obviously Lerman's been in competition before, so I would guess in. But but I mean, they don't usually do it that way, right? Unless it's like open, like they'll announce like their opening film. They did not announce this. this is like, a, much like the Top Gun Maverick thing. This is a this is a sources say thing. Wow. So I mean, look, it could be in comp. That'd be interesting. I'm excited to see Elvis. Um, but yes, uh, Tales of Hoffman. Um, so Tales this, of Hoffman, yeah. I mean, I, this is basically what I thought Red Shoes was going to be before I watched it. Sure. Um, it's an opera. Where it is just the opera. <laughs> it, is, it is just the ballet, basically. Um, and much like Red Shoes, it looks incredible. But it is just crazy to like be like we made an opera or like we, right. we adapted this opera for the screen and here it is. Right. They translated it into English. Yeah. 
Um, it's the music by Offenbach, right? Um, yeah. Which I don't know how much context you have for Offenbach, Daniel, to, to present to us. Not yeah. much, <laughs> other than like he he died before he finished the opera. Sure. Uh, and they, it would premiere like three months after he died or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, he was yes. yeah. Uh, I know. Um, I I was I played violin in high through all through high school you know through high school and we did uh, every year we did like a big district wide strings concert where it was like everyone fourth grade through twelfth grade who like played a string instrument like played in the high school the the high the high school gym uh, everyone like and then everyone played one piece together at the end and yeah. one year we did uh, a selection from uh, the overture to Orpheus in the Underworld which is mm. uh, 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 one of the more uh, famous. It has like the the can can music that you know is from that, uh, uh, and yeah, that's also from that. Yeah. Um, so that's what I know about Offenbach. Um, yeah, and this is yeah, it's a translated into English, just like they they give it a frame story a little bit, I think, but like I don't know how much of that was in the original opera. Uh, there's like a a wordless like during the um prelude right where they don't really talk yeah lindorf this is just again per the wikipedia uh and the prologue all of lindorf's music is excluded yeah um her profession has changed from opera singer uh who was in don giovanni to a ballet dancer um and the tale of antonia is shortened um yes the ghost of her mother uh and dr miracle rather than um that's like how it ends with the tri- the three of them and rather than her death scene and then the role of nicholas is abridged yeah so yeah so the framing story is still there in the opera i don't i don't want to pretend to be like a tells a hoffman sure, sure, expert sure. but so my experience of this is the first time i watched this two years ago i was at my parents house and both uh, i come from a very classical musically trained family and so i started the movie on my own and then both my parents sort of like stormed into the room and they're like that sounds like tales of hoffman what are you what are you listening to and i was like i'm watching a film version of tales of hoffman and so they stayed the entire time and like gave running commentary and i didn't really hear it which is fine yeah, <laughs> um, daniel watching you hear like the orchestra yeah, tuning up tuning my up, mom was like, like oh this was much better when i saw it in running. <laughs> yeah um so yeah the frame story is like it's based on three short stories by there's by the poet eta hoffman um and the opera makes him the main character in those three short stories and the frame device is he is uh waiting for this opera singer though in the movie it's a ballet dancer uh that he's in love with uh and while he's waiting in a tavern for her he sings these uh these he tells these stories of these three lost loves of his and Mm -hmm. during that the villainous Count Lindorf has seized the communication that the a woman Stella he's in love with uh, sent to him, and is like making him like keep singing until like he's so like distraught and exhausted that at the end he goes away with Stella. At the end, yeah. it has a bummer ending. But yeah, that that framing device is in the opera as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so the, a lot of the changes they made were, like, they took out, like, the Lindorf is a completely silent role now. He has this whole, like, villain song, for lack of a better word, at the beginning. They took that out, so he's just storming around and looking menacing. They changed 
the opera singer Stella at the beginning, who's played by Morishira, to a ballerina. So they made yeah. it like pure ballet. Um, and yeah, I mean, they just added a lot more dancing to it. There's not, it's, it, there's not that much, there's not a lot of dancing in the opera. Uh, yeah. you can't dance and sing like that no, <laughs> like no. i'll get into it in the in the like the first scene with the automaton which is also more sheer she plays the automaton like you can't <laughs> you would explode if you tried to yeah. dance like that and sing like that so like half at the, the time at the she's time, yeah. at the you can see she's not even like opening her mouth half the time they just keep right they yeah, just keep no, the track the... playing dorothy um, bond is who did the singing voice for more sheer yeah, almost no one does their own singing in this except the guy who plays Hoffman. I'm forgetting his name. Robert Ranceville. Yes, and the woman who plays Antonia in the last... Anne Ayers. Yeah. So those are the only... And I assume, because I looked at his credits, he doesn't really have any other film credits, so I assume he was an opera singer, and that's why they cast him as Hoffman. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and Robert Heltman, who's in The Red Shoes, who did the choreography of The Red Shoes... I didn't check if he also did the choreography for this, but I would maybe assume so. Um, he plays Lindorf, and then he also plays each of the main villains in the three stories. So he plays the inventor in the first one, yeah. and uh, the the devil basically in the second one, and then the what's his name in the third one? Doctor Miracle. Miracle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Doctor Miracle. Um, so yeah, he's like his representation of like the person who destroys his love or like fools him every single time uh yeah what did you all think uh i mean so yeah i like it obviously has like so many of the same like technical like just mastery at, as red shoot like there's like yeah so much there i think like this movie didn't quite really have a chance with me just because like i when everything is just pitched at that same level the whole time, like uh, that, that is like of people doing an opera, like it, I kind of don't connect with it necessarily. Like I, it's, it's sort of like, I'm just like, okay, like it, this is like, I need more like variation uh, in it yeah. to really like latch on to what the, what is happening. So like, you know, had to like cons you know consulted wikipedia several times to be like what's happening that sort of thing like and then like by the end it was like a little bit like yeah like i've i've sort of gotten it and it's just like it's still going and it's still like so pit pitched so high and so uh so much that i like was was not necessarily like uh, like totally engaged by it i would say sure Amelia? Um, I would say same, except that I didn't have a problem knowing what was going on. I just maybe... God, this is such a... I don't want to say this, because this is, this is like one of those things where you, you know is a stupid opinion, but, Please. but you, I just don't think I like how opera sounds. I find it, sure, I yeah, find no, it very absolutely. grating on the ears, the singing. That's very funny, yeah. It, I mean, that, I, I, get, I, I understand that. I yeah. think especially, I had this feeling of, like, maybe opera wasn't meant to be listened to with headphones. Of just, like, this sound full blast directing at my ears is just not a, yeah. not a very pleasant experience, it's, I think. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of meant to be in an auditorium or a theater where it's, like, a, you know, right. play to the balconies. Like, everyone right, needs well, to yeah. understand 
Yeah, so, and so on. much of opera, like even contemporary opera, is like they do this live with their voices, no amplification. Yeah, that, like, that, everything. that was my biggest thing, where it's like, I, I get that ba- you could make the same argument for ballet, but I think in the Red Shoes, they make a very good, with what they did filming it, I think they make a very good argument and a very good, they had a, did a very good job translating the the impressive experience of witnessing live ballet and the physical feat of it in a movie and i think in an opera context i think playing a track to me just feels weird maybe even as somebody who has no opera experience i feel like most of the enjoyment would come from the phys- witnessing the physical feat in person of a person being able to do that and that those sorts of sounds being able to come out from a person's body live and consistently and being able to tell a story and act throughout it to the point where once you're just playing the track I feel like I just disconnect to it I think there's just a a loss in energy between the mediums that I that it was just hard to reconcile for me even though I think it's maybe the best looking movie ever made it is I mean that is the thing is like I feel this has maybe come up on the show before. It's something I say often is that like, if you in a movie have a scene where characters are at an opera, I'm like, this is great. This is what I love of just like, but a lot of that is usually associated with uh, just it being in a movie is like fun and cool. Like there's obviously the huge, like Ness and Dorna scene in mission impossible. uh, And that is like playing with so much other stuff in the opera is just like, basically score and you are experiencing like something that is just sounds good like that and um you also a lot of the time it is like the character's emotion at this opera or even like an orchestra like right they are overwhelmed by the power of yeah. music and it is yeah. like that is maybe what i'm responding to more um and i do have when i was watching it i was like this looks great and it sounds great like all the music i think is very good uh, I don't listen to opera a ton, but like I do sometimes I'll listen to some operas or operettas and just like, I do like hearing it. Um, but also a lot of that is like to do with the music around the singing. Um, and, uh, it is also a thing of like, I am very bad at like listening for and like processing lyrics. So like, yeah. people singing in another language that basically is just another instrument at that point, like is something that I do enjoy just hearing. And then I think, um, I did have a similar thing when I was watching this, where I was like, this looks insane. It like is basically like the, the, the ballet from the red shoes as a full movie <laughs> and like the costuming and everything. Uh, and the sets are all so like extravagant. Um, but then they also do a thing that I think is very interesting and, like, they're, they are able to play with, like, making it look like Red Shoes, how you were talking about how it doesn't look like you're watching a ballet. It is just this thing that is a movie of this ballet, like it is the film ballet. But they also play with um, what look like just sets and it looks like stages at times and it's like they're able to break that line between this is like a stage performance and this is also a film performance and I think they integrate those together very well 
as it sort of reaches its peak of stylization in other scenes, it is a oddly austere in other ones as well. Um, but this is to say that it is something that I was like, it checks every box basically for what I want it to be, but I don't have a crazy emotional response to it. Like I imagine I would in person, like, uh, it is not as overwhelming as I thought it would be like, as just like setting my, all of my senses on fire. <laughs> like I like seeing ballet in person does kind of, and I imagine seeing opera in person would as well. Yeah. Uh, so I have a lot of thoughts about this. So I watched this, uh. So I'd seen it a few a couple years ago, and then I watched it last week in preparation for this recording. Um, and I was similarly left cold by it, and I was kind of frustrated by it. And I kept, I was, I kept saying to myself, "Why am I not in rapture? Why am I not like in a daze while watching this? Of just sort of look at all this beauty." Um, and then I have been watching parts of it again uh in the last three days and sort of just going through the whole thing again and i like it much more now i'd say i really like it now i but my approach to it i think changed completely um i i remember telling cullen before he watched it i was like it's like you said it's like the centerpiece of the red shoes to feature length and now i'm not i'm not sure i agree with that now i think they're I, it, it begs the comparison because their pets Powell and Pressburger and it's ballet parts ballet and very musical. Um, it's it's very different because the Red Shoes a Red Shoes is doing a lot of different things. A, uh, it's just ballet. There's no singing, and so there's more abstraction to it. You're just watching these visuals. Um, sure. B, you have a lot more context for it. They tell you the story beforehand, and you also understand how it's mirroring the emotions of the characters, and you're in the psychology of the characters. And so there's a lot more surrounding the ballet. C, it's like it's 15 minutes long, and it's um, it's the ballet is basically all high points, and it very quickly reaches a state of delirium that it sustains for like 10 minutes or so. And so you do watch that and you're kind of um, in a daze the entire... You're sort of like... It kind of hypnotizes you all. The visuals and the score. And the score, I think, another thing is the score was written for... Like, the score and the choreography were done in tandem, basically. And so what makes this very different, tells a Hoffman, is... I, well, the reason I, I was watching it and I was thinking, why am I not having the reaction like I have to the ballet in the red shoes? Why am I not just like completely giving myself over to this? And I think you have to approach it in a very different way where, like another thing Colin said was when he described the Mission Impossible thing was the opera's like score in that scene. It's You're not really approaching it like trying to really process the music itself it's just very dramatic and highly emotional accompaniment to the visuals that you're seeing and i feel like as beautiful as this is and as like overwhelmingly as as overwhelming as the pageantry is the music is i think the more important than the visuals and i think the visuals like the, the music already exists obviously and i think the visuals exist to accompany the music more than the other way around 
And so the second time I was going through it, I was like, let me like pay attention to the actual music more and sort of the the development of the music and then look at the image not as the main thing but as the accompaniment to the music. And I'm kind of just describing what music videos are. But it's weird to see this with a like a feature length film where the visuals are so opulent but also not the main thing. Like I don't think these visuals really stand on their own in the same way that maybe the Red Shoes ballet does. Like, it only kind of works when set against this music. Um, yeah, and it, it is very interesting. I think the music's great. And it's not really a very emotional opera, I'd say. Um, in, like, it, it, because it's all very fragmented and it's all, like, very um, heightened situations. You're not really, like, watching characters per se it's you know it's here's a guy who puts on magic glasses and falls in love with a robot you know yeah it's and then he finds out that she's a robot and then that's the end <laughs> right you're not you're not going to be like heartbroken or so moved or sure, raptured yeah. enraptured by it it's kind of just the pleasure of listening to the music and then listening to these or watching these accompanying visuals um and so it's an interesting project. I don't think I've ever seen a movie like this in that it doesn't it, it's not really aiming to sort of overwhelm your senses and just put you in a daze. You're supposed to be paying attention to the music. And I don't really mean the lyrics of understanding what's going on, but just sort of the emotional development of the music and seeing how the visuals accompany that. And like I I assume a lot of the other thing is the pacing is so weird because it's an opera and not a normal movie or a musical yeah. or something where it's like he she's gonna sing for five minutes about how she's a robot <laughs> you know like there's not there's nothing else going on it's just you have to listen you have to listen to it and then watch what she's doing but there's yeah. no like plotting or character development in those five minutes there's no it's like the same melody repeated over and over again and so if you're not accustomed to opera or classical music it is like very challenging especially if you're just watching the visuals and then sort of tuning out the music kind of of just like that's score that's just something that's accompanying this when it's actually the other way around um yeah there's like yeah. it's almost like you're being this is like a bad metaphor to use maybe but it's like you're getting like vegetables with no seasoning and <laughs> that yeah. makes, like they're not doing anything to like dress it up to like make it anything other than what it is like it is just like they made an opera adaptation like directly almost for film yeah like and... they aren't putting it behind any sort of thing or like using uh like making a movie around it like they are just yeah. making it a movie which is like yeah like you're saying it is like an interesting like stylistic exercise yeah, and not once is it really, it's never really asking you to buy, like, really emotionally invest in this situation, sure, yeah. or, like, buy into the reality of the movie. Like, it's it, the it's more abstract than any of their other movies. Like, mm -hmm. even, and again, like, The Ballet and the Red Shoes obviously is very abstract, but it's so 
hypnotic and also you understand the emotions of the characters and what's going on and this it's just you're just like looking at these sets and these costumes and it's very pristine and mm-hmm. yeah and the first time i i rewatched it for this i was like it, it gave me a headache because it is very garish <laughs> like there's i i think it's not pleasing to look at in the same way that their other color movies are like sure. it is very i don't know it just really sticks out to you and i think it's really beautiful and that yeah. that wasn't an issue with me the when i just rewatched it um but it, it feels to me like it's kind of in a completely different register from their other movies and kind of shouldn't really be compared to the red shoes even though it's like obviously it's going to be compared to the red shoes but yeah they are it's like a it, it's like a completely different set of goals in a very different context the mm-hmm. different process of making the movie i assume because you already have the music uh they recorded the entire opera beforehand they recorded everything and then they set to like staging and filming it um and so it's a very different thing um but yeah i find it very for for most of it i i I found it really entertaining and it's very nice to listen to uh by the end i'm kind of exhausted um but you know there's nothing like it (laughs) Yeah. There is. Um, I mean, yeah. Can you imagine if someone today was like, "I'm gonna film an opera for a yeah. mo- for like, yeah. like if a prestige director was like, I'm just gonna do like, and it wasn't for like PBS or whatever. It was like, I'm no, this is yeah. gonna be a movie with uh, this like production level yeah, and like, right. yes, you know. yeah, putting all the yeah. I'm like, sure it's yeah. I'm sure it's not as expensive as it looks because it's a lot of like trickery and things like that. But it does like look extremely expensive. Yeah, there is um, a quote uh, from Bosley Crowther, who wrote for the New York Times. Our favorite. Yeah, yeah, the king. We love Um, him. Bosley, come um, on the show. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) comparing it to the Red Shoes, he said the two films are basically different. A comparison is fair to this extent: the Red Shoes had warmth and vitality. Tales of Hoffman is splendid and cold, which I think is very funny. Um, Yeah. And then the the other thing of like you talked about uh, watching the commentary for Red Shoes where Scorsese is on that and he's obviously like a vocal fan of Palin Pressburger and I think he's also on the commentary for Tales of Hoffman but um, one of like the biggest fans of this movie as like a famous person like a director which is very funny is George Romero where he's like this is the best movie of all time and it's what made me want to make movies and I do think that is very funny of just like this is what he saw and was like i want to do this and then he made the movies that he made yeah i mean yeah a lot of their movies are a lot of people's favorite movies because i think like no one has ever made any movies like them right Right. like there's nothing so much movie yeah and all of them in the most any movie i mean people have taken a lot from them like i know where i'm going is kind of a basic rom romantic comedy premise Mm -hmm. though none of them have that tone in the red shoes people take a lot of inspiration from the dream ballet and like you know the black swan thing but none of them have remotely the same tone as the red shoes i think um yeah they all they are all like completely singular and so this one i would say is probably the most challenging and least accessible just because you know it's like if you're not into the thing it's saying it's going to do at the start it's not going to convince you 
you know yeah if you're not if you don't like opera it's not gonna be like oh you're gonna like opera after this no yeah, <laughs> you're not no gonna like op- yeah all. you're not gonna like opera after this and like it makes the story kind of more abstract like the the thing that's a bridge you said about Nicholas is I, this is maybe my favorite performance in the movie and i don't know what her name is she's like his like uh yeah his friend or servant who stays by him the entire time and what's in the opera is that at the beginning she tells the audience that she is secretly in love with him that that's like why she is standing by him the entire time and so they cut all that out of this movie she never says any of that and she only like sings a little bit in some of the segments but it's all just like looks and like when she's when he's falling in love with a robot, she's like, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Or, Pamela Brown know, is the actress's name. Yeah, and is always sort of the voice of reason, let's say, but yeah, kind of powerless uh, and paralyzed by her love. And, and like when I rewatched that, knowing that that was the context for that character, I found her performance very moving. And I find the main forget his name again. I th- I think he's really good. The guy who plays Hoffman. Yeah. Yeah um he i think he modulates his performance very well to movies like he gets a lot of close-ups and yeah where he's still singing and when he does it's not like you know because i mean they have to overdo it they have to go extremely big but in his close-ups he finds a really great way great way to perform where you know he's singing opera looks like he's singing opera but he's not like taking up too much of the frame kind of he he i i think it's a very like sensitive performance and i think it's he's very likable and uh he's really good and he and also he's doing all of his own singing which again it's like he's an opera singer so you take for granted not he's live, gonna i don't think no not live no, yeah, it was no, all it was all pre-recorded yeah. Yeah. but it is his voice and so you assume he's going to be a good opera singer but i think he is really good at it um but yeah yeah all right. I mean, does anyone have any final thoughts on Tales of Hoffman? No, um, it's so. cool. I like a lot of. I, think I like good. a lot of I'm, shots. I'm excited to revisit. I like it when I would yeah. say the shot that has like it's like somebody going downstairs, but all the stairs are painted. It's just they're not real. Yeah. that's a great shot. I like yeah. the latch. I like the, the last shot. fade when it fades like from the last story into back them back in the room. That's a great shot. Mm. Yeah, I like that one shot where she hits the high note and the other lady's head pops off. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. There's a. Like at the beginning, them all singing in the bar also is very fun. Yeah, that's, the bar is fun. I like that vibe. Yeah. That's kind of my favorite segment in the movie, and I think that 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 part has an energy the other segments don't. Because I I think because just the tone of it is like we're just singing a story about this what's his name Kleinzak. We're just singing yeah, a story. Yeah, clown, we're yeah. just we're, yeah we're right, just singing a story the beer about mug this that comes to life. This funny guy. And it does a lot of stuff, like, in the editing and the shooting of how Hoffman is singing that, like, I don't think, I don't see any musicals doing for a long time after this, where, like, it cuts on the beat and sort of the camera, like, moves in and out of him as he, like, Mm -hmm. takes an inhale or an exhale or belches out this huge thing. Um, It's, like, very animated uh, in a way the others aren't. I mean the other, and I think the others are good too. But it's like a very different tone. I watch that scene a lot of them just thinking about this clown. It's very fun. Um, I would say uh, to any listeners, if there's anyone who's listening to this who hasn't already seen the movie, um, I would say maybe I would say one 
read the plot summary beforehand. I think it's like a Shakespeare thing where it's like if you don't know the plot, you should probably, you should probably know, and then it will make a lot more sense to you as you watch it. Um, and then maybe it helped me a lot to actually listen to the music on its own um, before watching the movie again, like getting more into what the actual music sounds like. And so I was paying attention to that more. And I think doing that helped me a lot of in terms of enjoying what this movie was doing. Um, is there a recording you recommend that is not just like the soundtrack to the movie or did you just listen to the soundtrack? To the I movie? just searched Tales of Hoffman on Spotify, mm-hmm. click the first sure. album, press play. It was a French sure. version. It wasn't in English. Sure. Um, yeah. But it's great. I would I would listen to recording of it and read the plot. <laughs> and then <Yep. laughs> I think... I mean, it is like listening to music. It's not like you're going to... When I watched a movie again, I wasn't like waiting for you know plot films or whatever it is just listening and watching the thing like you watch it like music and so it's just the pleasure of the sounds that it's making and sort of the images that it's making um but knowing sort of what the line it's all tied to with the plot helps a lot and just get becoming acclimated with the pace of the opera music of because it, it moves i wouldn't i get yeah it moves slow it move it doesn't move like a normal movie does um and so just getting more used to the pace of that music will help you a lot with enjoying this uh yeah i think i think it's really good but it's definitely an acquired taste thing all right well with that should we quickly do uh special presentations uh daniel is there anything that you've watched recently or even not recently that you like to recommend people um, sure. So there's this movie by the great Frank Borzaghi, uh, called I've Always Loved You, which is on YouTube, and it came out a couple years before The Red Shoes, and it kind of deals with a similar thing, where it's about, it's about, uh, a, a piano maestro and his student, who's this young woman, and sort of their romance slash his mentorship and it's it's a love triangle thing and sort of fighting for like romance versus her career um it's so it's a similar uh, plot line kind of but it's a very different tone and it's maybe my favorite movie um it like makes me sob and uh i don't know where else to find it except on youtube and it's in 1080p on youtube so it looks Mm -hmm. great um it's from 1946 so i'd recommend that and also Happy Feet, too. Uh, have to say yeah. that every time. Every time. Andy? Me? Not you? Do you uh, have anything? <laughs> do I have anything? Uh, I mean, I've been doing Oscar catch-up, and nothing's jumped out at me yet. I mean, rewatched Tick, Tick, Boom last night. Still tremendous. Still earth-shattering. Still a miracle movie. Uh, watch it if you haven't. Uh, what was your reaction about- when you watched it again? Like, what did you say? Yeah, I mean, I really felt like, I don't know, like, I I really, this time around, I sort of really felt like I was able to get the, like, the dis, like, how track Jonathan Larson's sort of descent in that movie, like, how, how he's just, like, increasingly stressed and increasingly losing focus, losing, losing touch with everything that he's, or 
gaining focus on his work but losing touch with everything else and just like how and i think structurally that movie is really interesting because like the workshop happens which the whole movie has been building up to and then there's like half an hour left in the rest of the movie and i think it's really interesting like how he's so focused on like the end of that workshop and that end goal and then it really is effectively done where it's like oh and now there's like a bunch of movie left and like i just like i haven't thought anything about what comes next after this workshop and i think like that that structural choice which then he gets like a rude awakening about what he's been missing in his life and and sort of reflects on on how he's how he has failed failed as a person while trying to succeed as an artist even though he has basically failed as an artist uh, and I think, yeah, I just tracking that this time, I was like, yeah, this is still a wonderful movie, and I love it. That's great. There was, I, if I'm not wrong, there was a specific thing you said during the movie. That was what I was asking about. I don't remember what you're what you're talking he, about. You said Lynn did oh, that. Oh, Lynn did. That was crazy. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to sort of set you off on this whole. <laughs> yeah. <tic-tic-tick>. Um, <laughs> I recently went and saw John Ford's A Quiet Man uh, in a Fathom event in the theater and I think that movie is just incredible. Yeah. Um, How was the crowd? It was a lot, it was a packed house really? and it was a lot of old people <laughs> who good. cracked up a bunch and I was like, this is money. It's like um, a very popular movie. I remember in high school like I, like religious kids would come up to me because they knew I was a movie person they were like, have you seen The Quiet Man? Like no, yeah, <laughs> like people um, still watch a, the quiet. Another one of George Romero's ten favorite films. Really, another one? Wow, that's funny. Yeah, uh, I mean, it is a crazy movie that like it is hard. I mean, it does a lot of uh, has a lot of crazy relationship to like modern romance. I would say, um, yeah. but there are moments that are like incredible, and I think um, I. Is it Maureen O'Hara? Is that her name? Yeah. Maureen O'Hara. She, there are moments where she's framed in such a way, like, at the very bottom of the screen, and Ford has so much stuff, like, John Wayne standing in the foreground, and she's, like, very deep in the background, and, like, uses it in such a way that is, like, tremendous. Um, and I think her performance is, like, outstanding in that movie. Uh, Amelia, was there anything you've seen recently? Or? Um... I saw A Brighter Summer Day, the Edward Yang movie, and it's, yeah, it's uh, basically incredible. It's maybe one of the best movies of all time. It uh, One of the few movies that completely succeeds at telling uh, the story of not only a specific person, but also, like, an entire era in a way that feels like I have a better understanding of history, but also how history affects people and what the sort of folly consequences of that sort of thing were it was it's like an incredibly emotional film and he was one of the greatest that's all all right well with that daniel is there any thing you'd like to plug your social media or anything uh my letterbox is daniel foster my twitter is jutopia2 um a lot of great stuff there i forget my tiktok handle uh otherwise i would have plugged that too the spirit yeah maybe we'll see again <laughs> yeah um my stuff could get in um just don't shake your head come on all right 
<laughs> I'm mad now. I'm really mad. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I, that was like a yeah. Uh, <laughs> you shook your head. <laughs> yeah. Does that mean yeah? That I was like a we'll see. Uh, like yeah, that that could happen. Um, like that was what I was trying to. Yeah. Get the Rasiki um, episode without Andy pissing getting off angry. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, by the way, Daniel, breaking news: uh, Matt Bomer casting opposite Bradley Cooper as his lover in the Bernstein biopic. Uh, Maestro. I, Maestro. I don't know who Matt Bomer is. That's, all cool. Right, well, uh, so you can follow. <laughs> That's the going to be the worst movie of all time. Bradley Cooper should not be playing Leonard Bernstein. That is a crime against humanity. That's all I want to say. Great. Um, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Can I Kick It on Letterbox and Instagram at C I K I Pod. You can email us your questions at Can I Kick It Pod at Gmail dot com. Uh, you can donate money to us or subscribe to us uh, on ko-fi.com slash k-n-i-z-a-n-n-e-s-i and we've picked uh we had our we had our winner our first winner of our drawing picked and we've conversed with him and you'll see an episode coming from us soon on uh the movie that they suggested for us to watch um otherwise i'm clatchley c-l-a-t-c-h-l-e-y on all social media andy andy t germ I laugh alone. Amelia? I'm laugh alone. And our theme song is by Tree Related. You can find on Spotify at on at if you search Tree Related and uh, SoundCloud.com slash Tree Related. And then with that, that's the end of the episode, and we'll release our audience. Bye. 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 Bye.